Welcome to the Special Needs Navigator podcast, hosted by Eric Jorgensen. As a widowed father of an adult son with several challenges, primarily autism, Eric has and continues to walk the path many of you are on now. This podcast will introduce and explain resources and services that may assist in your journey. The views and opinions of our guests are their own and do not necessarily represent those of Eric Jorgensen or Special Needs Navigator. Welcome, everyone. I'd like to introduce you to Annie Tolkien. Annie is the founder of Accessible College. She founded Accessible College to help individuals with any type of disability have a more successful transition from high school into the college environment and just have a more enjoyable college experience. I'm going to let Annie do a deeper dive into how she does that and who she typically works with. But I I really wanted to make people aware that Accessible College exists because I'm not sure enough people know about it. It is not a Maryland thing. Although Annie is based in Maryland, she works with individuals and students and parents across the country. And again, I'll let her share more about that. I'm going to turn it over to Annie. She's going to share a little bit about her background, some information about Accessible College, what services she offers, and then when and how to reach out to Accessible College. It's actually going to be sooner than I thought. I thought you would want to wait till senior year, but Annie really gives some examples for why it's it's better to start a little early. So Annie, without any further ado, welcome, and please tell the audience a little bit about you and, and how you came about to, to where you are now. Thanks, Eric. Um, I'm so excited to be talking with you today because I think the population I work with, which is typically students with health conditions, um, and health conditions kind of covers everything from migraine disorders, to diabetes, to um, lupus, to cancer, and Crohn's disease, gastrointestinal issues, and and everything in between. So I work with students with health conditions and physical disabilities. So physical disabilities could be anything from, you know, missing limb to a mobility impairment to someone who uses a wheelchair or a scooter. And so the mission of Accessible College is to provide students with physical disabilities and health conditions and their families supports to ensure a successful transition to college. And the reason that's needed is because colleges and universities provide varying levels of support for students with disabilities and health conditions. And so the services that I provide through Accessible College really bridge the gaps and empower students and families to work together to create positive educational experiences for the student. And just like providing a little bit of background on myself. So I have over 12 years of experience in the disability field. Some of that was in disability-related nonprofits. Some of it was contracting for the federal government. And then I spent about five and a half years at Georgetown University as the Associate Director of the Academic Resource Center at Georgetown, which is the Disability Support Office at Georgetown. And for people who don't know a lot about college disability support offices, They sometimes have different names, so sometimes they're called access services or disability support services or the learning center or the academic support center. So during that time at Georgetown, I worked with students with physical disabilities and health conditions, and I also did all of the housing-related accommodations. I also oversaw all of the academic skills and supports for the general student body, so I worked with students on things like executive function skills, time management, college reading strategies, study skills, and things like that. 
other fun facts about me, parts of my background. I was a Peace Corps volunteer and a Fulbright fellow, both in Mongolia. Um, and during my Fulbright, I studied Mongolian teachers' perceptions of disability in the classroom. And my background is in education. My undergrad degrees in secondary ed from DePaul University in Chicago, and my master's is in special ed from University of Wisconsin. So disability and education has kind of been a theme throughout my career. But it was really my time at Georgetown where I was working with students, undergrads, grad, and medical school students with physical disabilities and health conditions who were seeking accommodations that I realized that so many of these students were coming into college without a really good understanding of how the laws changed from high school to college. So from IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, to the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and kind of what that meant in the in the college context. So the ADA provides reasonable accommodations for students in the college setting based on their functional limitations. So meaning like where they're having challenges or issues. The accommodations that you might receive in high school um, may be different from what you might get in college. So an IEP, an individualized education plan, or a 504 plan may not transfer directly from high school to college in terms of the types of services or accommodations that you might receive in the college setting. And I think a lot of people don't know that. And then there's a whole nother population of students who maybe has recently acquired a disability or has been recently diagnosed with something or um, had a spinal cord injury and, and they don't really know the process of requesting accommodations or receiving services in college too. So that's another population of students that I work with as well. And I should say too, accommodations is kind of, some people don't know really what that what that means. So we should talk a little bit about that. Accommodations could be anything from, you know, the typical academic accommodations are things like extended time on tests, a note taker, the ability to have a laptop in class to take notes. People might need extensions on extended time on tests if they have cognitive disability, but also they might need it if they have a mobility impairment and they have a hard time writing or they use speech to text software and so they need more time to complete that exam. Or if they take a medication that causes brain fog. A lot of students who have received chemotherapy for cancer treatment often have trouble with brain fog and memory and so they might need a little bit of extra time on exams to be able to complete those exams. Other things, other types of accommodations the students I work with typically are looking for are, you know, extensions on assignments, flexibility and attendance so that if they have a flare-up of their condition, they can miss class and not be penalized for that. And then I also work with students more holistically. So we look at the whole college setting, so the housing uh, accommodations that they might need programmatic accommodations so that they're thinking about if I want to attend an event, what do I need to do to get an accommodation in place there? And recreationally too, so sports and clubs and things like that. So I really work with students to kind of do all of those pieces. And the reason I do that is because the students I worked with at Georgetown didn't really know a lot of these things. Nobody had sat down with them to talk about what their needs might be in the college setting um, how that might be different from the high school setting. You may know, I'm sure you do, Eric, because you know all this stuff, but students who have IEPs in high school, they actually receive transition planning as a part of that IEP process. But we also know that transition planning kind of varies based on what school district they're in, who's working with them, 
that person's or their team's content knowledge about that specific disability or what that might, you know, what their needs might look like in the college setting. And so where I come in with Accessible College is working with students throughout high school into that college phase so that they can have the skills that they need to really be truly independent and good self-advocates and be really successful in college. So let's take a second there, Annie, because we've covered a lot of ground and I want to make sure people... Yeah, I'm a talker. (laughs) But I mean, and there's a couple things I really want to highlight and capture. So Mm -hmm. first and foremost, a lot of what you were saying is students are doing this. Students will be asking for services. And I think we need to really highlight this and stick a pin in it. The student, not the parents, not the brother, not the aunt and uncle, not the grandparents, the student must advocate for him or herself, right? Yeah, so this is a really kind of sometimes surprising thing that that happens. When the student matriculates to college, the student has to be the one to initiate contact with the disability support office to request accommodations. So mom and dad no longer have a role in that process. And that's because of a law called the Federal Education Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA, as we in the biz call it. (laughs) So because of FERPA, parents don't have access to the student's grades anymore, any conduct violations, or anything in the student's record, unless the student and the parents sign a waiver that's typically done at the college registrar's office so that the parents can access the student's grades and their academic record. So even though the student, the parent might be paying, I don't know, $60,000, $70,000 for the kid to go to college, the parent does not automatically have access to the student's academic information. The same thing kind of goes over to the disability support office and the student health center as well. So the student has to be the one to initiate these processes in the college setting. And for students, that can be really tricky because mom and dad usually have been kind of working and supporting them throughout that high school process, maybe advocating for them. And maybe the student hasn't had as much of a role in that process, which is kind of a great segue to talk about how we should be working with students so that they're building these skills Um, which is part of what we do at Accessible College, is think through kind of the whole process of what a student needs to be able to do to be a good self-advocate and to be able to independently live and make decisions for themselves. So some of the things that I often work with families on is getting the student to go to their IEP meetings or go to their 504 plan meetings, even if they don't want to hear it, Um, leaning into that discomfort and hearing about the things that the adults are saying about them. Maybe reading that evaluation, if they've had a neuropsych evaluation, maybe reading the doctor's documentation about their disability, reading the 504 plan, beginning to understand what is in that plan and why it's there. And you'll help facilitate these conversations, right? You're not just saying, mom, dad, here you go. I mean, as I understand it, you're willing to meet the parents. Right now it's Zoom, but previously it might have, if they're local to Maryland, maybe somewhere more neutral. But even Zoom can be neutral because of the child or the adult child or whatever can be in another bedroom. And you can facilitate a conversation where mom and dad can start really treating this, this young adult like an adult. I mean, it, yeah. and it really is a different conversation when you start treating somebody as an adult and not the child that you've known them as for the last 14, 15 years. 
because I, I really want to see parents as part of that transition stage planning, start talking to them as if they're an adult to the maximum ability that they're able to understand. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I do with students and with families is coaching, right? So it's that process of figuring out where are you in this process? What are your needs? And we identify those needs together. And then we work through how do we get to where we need to go, right? So what is the end goal and how do we get to that? So a a lot of what we do is sit down and think about a a great example of this is um, I have a student who I'm working with. We started working together when she was a sophomore in high school. She has multiple health conditions. She takes seven or eight different medications, right? And so she was at the phase of starting to think about how do I begin to manage my own health needs independently? Now she's working on the college search stuff, but when we started working together, that was a big factor, right? So mom had been filling all of the prescriptions. Mom was making sure that the student was taking these things. She had to take medication in the morning and before bed. Mom was monitoring all of the doctor's appointments. Mom knew mom was point person for everything, right? And so we started to work together to figure out how can the student begin to take on some of these roles and responsibilities gradually now as a sophomore in high school so that when she is a first year student in college, she's got this. She's ha- now she'll have she'll have a couple of years to actually work up and build those skills as opposed to just being thrown into independent living. So one of the things that we worked on was like having the student list out all of the medications that she was taking and then working through, okay, what strategies can we put in place so that you can monitor your own medication? And so that you can get those refills, you know, in the system. Everything today is like on an app now, Walgreens, CVS, whatever. You can just do it. And and students are really savvy with that stuff. So for her, it was just like putting the systems in place and giving her the responsibility. And, you know, doing that now when a student is in high school is that like they're still in a supported setting. So even if things don't work out perfectly, there's room for Right. I would rather have my student not do well at home than, than be 50,000 miles away or whatever, 100 miles away, whatever, whatever mileage away and have them not do well at college. Right. So part of it is like working out these pieces now, getting that student more comfortable with what are your needs? Who are your doctors? Do you know how to contact your doctors? Working through those pieces. You speak for yourselves at appointments. Like, how can we? So, with that student, we worked on like, when you're going to a doctor's appointment, how do you prepare for that? Like, are there things that you think about in advance? Do you write out questions? Like that kind of thing. So that was like the coaching aspect of getting her prepared. And now that she's going into the college search piece, there's also going to be a piece of working on questions for the disability support office. And this is what I do with all of my clients. Questions for the disability support office, starting to identify some of her accommodation needs and what that might be in college. She's at a private school now, and so she has accommodations for her high school, but they're a little bit different than they might be in the college setting. So she's actually going to be asking for more accommodations than she currently has in the high school setting, just because the high school does things a little bit differently. They allow her more flexibility in general, and a lot of times you'll find this. There are a lot of students who maybe have informal accommodations in high school or the school itself just lets the student have more time on things. 
if your student doesn't have documented accommodations in high school, but they have a condition, you should still be thinking about what types of transition planning and accommodations they may need to have in place in the high school setting, or excuse me, in the college setting, because the living situation is different. The food is different. There's a lot of things that are controlled when the student is in high school that are not as controlled once they are in college. And let's talk about that. Let's pull the string right there about the living conditions, the food. So when students are looking at colleges, very often, it's my understanding, they're looking at what's the courses that are offered? What does the campus look like? But from what you just said about the food and living conditions, some additional things they should be thinking about aren't just what the campus looks like, because sure, you may live on campus, What does the surrounding area have in terms of available food or if you're on a specific diet, are you able to go shopping that or do you have to drive two towns over? Is there places that you can go that are accommodating to your particular disability if you want to go have a social life, right? Some places may not be as current, I guess, is Mm -hmm. the best word, right? So they're not as accessible as others. You know, so you don't want to find that out halfway through a semester. You learn you're trapped in your room, right? Yeah. So there are the typical considerations for college, right? Like campus culture. Do they have the major that you want? Some of the things you touched on, maybe finances factor into that. Like, can you afford it or not? That type. Those are like the usual considerations. And the students I work with are absolutely looking at all of those pieces. And they're also looking at a number of other pieces, too. Typically, prior to working with me, the pieces that I helped them work on were maybe on a back burner, but they... Or not even thought about, right? I mean, they don't think because it's always been accommodated. Right. A couple things that you touched on that I think are really important to highlight. If your student has a health condition and they have a team of doctors at home that they've been working with, sometimes since birth, quite frankly, do they want to keep that connection with those doctors or are they going to transfer care? If they're going to transfer care, are they looking at colleges and universities that have university medical centers or hospitals either on campus or nearby? Is that a part of their college search process? Because a lot of times students aren't thinking really about that or what that's going to look like, or maybe they are thinking about it, but then they haven't taken that next step to figure out what do I need to do to make those connections at the new hospital? Can I just start seeing doctors there? Do my current doctors have connections with doctors at whatever hospital? You know, so there's a lot of pieces that often need some guidance and support and some coaching to to make the, the connections for. So that's a huge component, right? The continuity of care piece. Families often think, oh, colleges have mental health services on campus. So I'll just, the student will just see a therapist at school, which can be true, but many colleges only allow the student to see a therapist on campus for maybe three to six sessions before they send them out to someone else in the community. Because quite frankly, colleges and universities have a finite number of therapists on campus and a large number of students who need those therapists. So they typically will send someone to an off-campus provider after a certain amount of time. And then it becomes a matter of, are they in network or out of network? And if they're out of network, who's going to pay that payment? Is it going to be mom and dad or is it going to be the student? Do mom and dad have the budget for that? Did they know they were going to be hit with it? Yes, it becomes a little bit trickier, right? So if you're planning for these things in advance, you can begin to draw those lines, right? And figure out, are there providers near that community that are in network or that we can connect with now to interview? Because quite frankly, like therapists is kind of like online dating. You need to, <laughs> you try a bunch before you find the right one, right? 
it's true. You laugh, but that really resonates with young adults. They get that because it's like it doesn't always click right away. And so you might need to try multiple people or have conversations with multiple people before you find the one that's like the good fit for you. So that's that continuity of care piece. So I work with families and we walk through that entire process. We get them all set up so that at the very least, they have the tools to make those decisions or those things are set and in place day one when the student steps on campus so that it's all figured out for them. And they've been a huge part of that process too. So everything that I do is working with the student and with the family to empower them so that they have the skills to be able to do this stuff independently for the rest of their life. Because many of the students I work with have long-term conditions, you know, their condition is not going to change. And so they're going to need these things forever. And so figuring that out now so that they can do some of these things independently is key for independent living in general. And then they're going to be able to transfer those skills to the job search or, you know, moving out on your own to be independent adults after college. So what I'm hearing, Annie, is unlike me, you're very high touch, very integrated with the family process. So when they go to your website, is there an overview? I know I think we've done a much better job. Well, you've done. I, I don't want to take any credit for this. This is all you. But I think you've done a phenomenal job sharing examples of what you do during this video. But when they go to the website and they want to see what the services cost, I believe you have menus to help them understand what you're doing, right? Yeah. So. I have I have my services outlined and the costs outlined as well. And I will work with people too to kind of figure out what their needs are. Everything that I do is very individual. So what I've done on my website is just kind of outlined thematic ideas in a sense. So if someone is in the college search process, there's kind of like a, a sharing of what the types of things that we could work on together if you're in the college search phase the types of things that we could work on if you've already accepted at a college and you now want to start working on what are the accommodations, the self-advocacy skills, the continuity of care. If your student needs support with executive function in terms of working on health-related issues, you know, medication management, um, time management, maybe there's a bunch of other things that they need to work on. So like, for example, I work with students with physical disabilities who often um, need to do physical therapy and have a lot of other kind of things that they need to make sure that they're staying well, well being away. So we're factoring that into their overall kind of daily planning, right? So you've got your classes, but you've also got to do your PT and your stretches, or how are you managing this? How are you fitting this in without becoming too overwhelmed because it might be the first time in their lives that they've ever had to do that, that they've ever had to really schedule things because parents have done a lot of that work, either making them do it, saying it's, you know, it's six o'clock, you need to do this, or just making sure that they're getting to the place to be able to do that. And Eric, I just wanted to go back really quickly to one thing that you said in terms of college search, you know, continuity of care, making sure you have your doctors and everything set up is huge. But also in that college search piece, too, you mentioned like just looking at the surrounding community and looking at the campus, specifically, especially for students with physical disabilities who maybe use a mobility device or wheelchair. You really do want to try and go and see that campus if it's possible. Nowadays, things are a little bit trickier. We're in COVID-19 world. So a lot more people are relying on virtual tours and things like that. And so it can be tricky, especially for students who use wheelchairs, to see, is this place going to be physically accessible for me? Universities are required by federal law, by the ADA, to be technically compliant. 
But most people who use wheelchairs know technical compliance does not always equal usability for them. So going to that place or the other thing that you can do is connect with the disability support office and see if you can have them reach out to students with similar disabilities who are on campus so that you can have conversations with those students to see what their experience has been like, to see if they feel like it's been an accommodating place or if they've had a really challenging time navigating or, or whatever the issues might have been. You also mentioned too, Eric, like older campuses, you know, and newer campuses, and we like to say historic campuses. That's <laughs> Um, In my previous life as an administrator at Georgetown, we would say it's a historic campus. 1789 was not a great year for accessibility. (laughs) And um, there are some real challenges now, like should that be a deciding factor in whether the student goes to school there or not? Like it may be a factor, but it might not be the factor. So it kind of depends on where the student is at, right? Like, so we certainly had at Georgetown, we had a number of students who used wheelchairs and worked with them to make sure that they could navigate and get from place to place. There are also some accommodations that students might want to request to support that process too, like priority registration or classroom relocations. And those are the types of things that I help families kind of work out and figure out. Like if your student wants to go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, a really old campus with cobblestones and stuff like there are things that can be done to make that transition a little bit smoother. There's always going to be challenges, but quite frankly, there's going to be challenges at a lot of places. So really equipping the student with the tools to be able to navigate those challenges is what we hope to do. Yeah. And and we can't address everything. I mean, just as you alluded to the fact we're in COVID, a lot of these virtual campuses are causing their own challenges that we didn't expect. Right. And I don't, I, I don't think, being respectful of your time, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but the objective is I really want parents to understand, yes, there is a ton to think about. And yes, you can try to do it on your own, but you're probably going to be overwhelmed. And it's absolutely understandable to feel like I don't want to deal with this because it's just too much. So when I say I think working with you, Annie, is phenomenal, I really truly do because I think just the conversations you and I have had over the, you know, however long we've known each other, I always learn something new. Like today, I've learned some new things too about the historic campuses or, you know, I mean, I just kind of take it for granted. Okay, a road is a road, but a cobblestone road for somebody using a wheelchair or another mobility device is not the same as a nice, smooth asphalt road. So, you know, it it makes me think, right? It's not something I face every day, so I don't think about it. And I would argue that many parents, even if they are facing it every day, they're not thinking about it because where they live, it's not a challenge now. I want to challenge you on one thing you had said. You said the cost is is on there. I don't like parents thinking of services like accessible college as a cost. To me, it's an investment in the student. And I consider it an investment because to me, a cost is cable TV. You pay for cable. You may or may not watch it. But at the end of the day, are you really getting any long-term benefit from it? I would argue no. Maybe if you're watching a cooking show or you, you know, Joanna Gaines and you're coming out and you're doing amazing things, but you're the minority. Because me, when I'm watching TV, it's cotton candy for the brain. But when you're working with somebody like Annie and Accessible College, which I will say is the only service I've found in a country doing this, you're investing your student for long-term gains that this young adult is going to have for the rest of their life. Because yes, not only are they going to get through two years of college, four years of college, maybe on to postgraduate, but they're also going to 
have skills that they can take into the workforce, into their future relationships. When they're buying that first home, they're going to take that same, what does the neighborhood look like? What kind of accommodations are out there? When they're buying their first home with their young family, as they did when they looked for their two-year college. I'm going to get off my soapbox and let Annie get back to talking about <laughs> when we should reach out. But I really want families to understand just how significant I think these services are. No, and Eric, I think what you hit on, it bears out in the data as well. So we know that there's approximately 20% of undergraduate college students are students with disabilities. And that encompasses students with learning disabilities, ADD, mobility, psychiatric, and health conditions. And that data is from federal data. And so we know that those are the students who go into the disability support office to request accommodations. So we can imagine that it's actually a much higher percentage of undergraduate college students who have disabilities who either didn't realize that they could go in and request accommodations or just haven't done it for whatever reason. They knew they could, but they've decided not to. And quite frankly, now with COVID-19, there are probably more people requesting accommodations. So that's that's a different rabbit hole. But all that to say, the other thing that we know is that students with disabilities drop out at a much higher rate than their non-disabled peers. And so for me, that always brings up the question, why? Why are they dropping out at a much higher rate? Is it because they weren't prepared for that transition to college? And I think that is a huge piece of it. And so when I'm talking to parents about why they should work with me, part of the reason is so your student has the skills and the tools to be able to navigate that college process, to feel comfortable and confident advocating for themselves when something isn't working out, and so that they can go forward and feel like they've got it really set and together so that when they get onto that college campus, they can do things all by themselves. I feel like, and I know this because this bore out in my work at Georgetown too, when I was on the other side of the desk working with students with physical disabilities and health conditions, a lot of students would come to me middle of the semester when they were in crisis, right? (laughs) And I would always say like, I'm glad you finally made it here, but like this didn't have to be a crisis, right? So accommodations are a lot like car insurance. You're glad you have it in place when you get in an accident, but it doesn't have to be that way, right? So students can set these things up and maybe they use them, maybe they don't, but they want to make sure that they have all of these things. It's tools in a toolbox. And so the other thing, like from a financial perspective for parents is if your student gets halfway through the semester and then they drop out of school, you typically lose all that money, right? So if you're thinking about, you know, working with someone to kind of get your student in a place where they can navigate this college transition process, feel comfortable in college, it's a good investment, I think. I mean, I think it's extremely helpful so that they're not just thrown in at the deep end having to advocate for themselves, figure out all these processes, get everything in place, maybe flail through. I mean, every college student has a transition to go through, right? It's, it's a new place. It's all these things. But we want to make it as smooth and as easy as possible, especially since many of the students that I'm working with with health conditions and physical disabilities already have a lot on their plate that they're, that they're dealing with. So they don't need more stuff to have to figure out. And this is why you want to start working with them 14, 15 years old, right? Especially, Mm -hmm. let's say it's a student athlete, right? Just because somebody has a physical disability doesn't mean they're not a student athlete. Maybe they want to find a college or university where they can be on that sports team. I think it'd be great to find that out at 14, 15, then 18. And oh, by the way, I'm looking at colleges starting in fall. 
I do work with a lot of students with physical disabilities who are adaptive athletes too. And that's always like a really fun process too. There are a number of schools that have adaptive basketball teams, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, that type of stuff. Also just other adaptive sports or sports clubs as well. But starting early is key. So I'll work with students as early as coming out of eighth grade, freshman year of high school, because some of these skills like figuring out the health needs and the continuity of care and getting that student tooled up to be able to manage their medication or manage their health needs is a huge piece. That's like a big pillar. And then everything else kind of comes from that, right? So I'll work with them at that point. And I work with students all the way through the college search process. I often work alongside college consultants or college counselors, or if a family's doing their own college search, they'll kind of bring me in. It's kind of a complimentary piece. So college counselors, college consultants are really good at figuring out like the academic fit. And then I come in with this kind of complimentary set of knowledge and skills to help support the student more holistically. So that we're not just looking at like, is this the best academic fit, but will it meet all of the students' needs? And kind of helping the student evaluate how to weigh out these different criteria as they're making their decisions. Because quite frankly, like the services that schools offer do vary. So it can be tricky to figure out like, do I want to be close to a hospital or do I want to have this amazing international development degree or whatever, whatever the student wants to do? So I help them kind of work through those processes. And then I work with students once they've transitioned to college as well. If they're in school and they're, you know, they still need some support figuring out these independent living skills or figuring out how to talk to professors about their disability, how to communicate their needs. I work with them at that point as well, or the executive function pieces, which is usually what I'm working with students on once they're in school is some of the time management and study skills strategies and things like that. It sounds like, let's say a family hires you when a child's 15, they work with you, get everything in place. They've identified what the child wants. They're going to stay local, all that. So they really don't need you beyond that initial. Mm -hmm. Give it three, four years, student goes to college, student's sophomore year in college, things have changed. Maybe they're getting a tougher course load or they're trying to identify major and they're figuring out, oh my gosh, I wasn't really equipped for just how complicated. They can re-engage, right? It's not saying yeah. I'm done with you. Yeah. And I think for me, at least, because I get to know intimate <laughs> details about these students' lives and their needs and stuff, we, we establish a rapport, right? And so students typically feel comfortable talking to me about some of the things that they're interested in or that they would like to be able to do. And so we've established a relationship. So it's quite easy for us to, to pick up that relationship and re-engage and figure out, okay, where are we at now and what needs to happen, you know, in the short term so that we can get back on track. And so that's a lot of what I do with students too, to figure out, you know, where are we at and where do we need to go? Awesome. So I'm going to add my last thought that I want to make sure I capture and then I'm going to turn it over to you. While a, a typical 529 plan will not pay for accessible college, ABLE accounts will. This is absolutely a qualified disability expense. So if you have a child with a disability, they have an ABLE account, grandma and grandpa want to help your child out, but you know they don't want to put money into an, a 529 account because that may affect FAFSA or something else, they can put money into the ABLE account and you can use the ABLE account to pay for accessible colleges services. That's my last thought. I just had to get it out there. Annie, any any last words you want to impart? Make sure people take away from this. Yeah. 
I think um, I would love for people to check out my blog too, because I write a ton and there's a lot of great resources on the blog too. So my website is www.accessiblecollege.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn as well too. So I publish a lot. And I think that that's where people kind of can get a great idea of the types of work that I do too. And so connect with me. And part of what I like to do is engage with people and engage in a conversation, right? So I also offer a free consultation. So if people want to connect, they can shoot me an email and we'll set up a time to have a talk and just kind of see what the students needs are, where you're at in that process. And then we'll go from there. You know, if I'm not the right person for you to engage with, I have a whole network of people that I can refer to as well. Um, so does Eric. So, so um, if we're not the right people to connect with, we could probably put you with somebody who is better suited to work with your students' needs too. So follow me and contact me. This has been awesome, Annie. Thank you very much for making the time to talk to us today. I know I will definitely be having you back on to talk some more because I can think of so many different rabbit holes to go down. Yeah, and I would love to talk again, Eric. This is super fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Special Needs Navigator podcast. We invite your feedback and comments. Please leave a review wherever you're listening and hit like, follow, and share to help spread the word. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For show notes, information about our guests, and more information about Special Needs Navigator, please visit www.specialneedsnavigator.us.